Like Rory relies on beer, Tommy on cigarettes, and Ollie on Ronaldo, we know that you rely on us to get you through your Fridays. And here we are, guys. Welcome to the Anglo-Italian pod. As always, my name is Rory, and I'm joined by my very good friend, Tommy. And you can find us on Instagram at AngloItalianPod, on Twitter at ItalianAngloPod, and you can also follow our sponsor, Tidding, at the Sports Club Maps. You can find them both on Twitter and on Instagram. Rory, how are you, man? I am all right. I'm better than last week. I feel like my voice is slowly coming back, although... Having to shout at the kids for six hours a week, six hours a day, probably isn't helping. But I'm good. What about yourself, Tommy? Well, I was, man, I I possibly had the worst birthday ever. So (laughs) I was sick and I will apologize in advance to all of our followers uh, for missing out on the Euroview on Monday night. That is kind of unprecedented, but I was feeling really, really sick. So basically my birthday at midnight, we celebrated all together. Rory was there. Mm -hmm. My friends were there. So the emotion lasted for about uh, 10 minutes, I want to say, because then our good friend Michael had to leave because he had a flight for China early in the morning. After one year and a half stuck in Italy, the Chinese government has finally accepted him back. And I don't know, he's kind of a, an important an important uh, person in our friend group. And after Definitely. he left, Definitely. after he left, like these, these, I don't know, these like depression, like sort of like took over. And I was just like, I don't know, it's, it's my birthday still, it's a good night, but it was good. <laughs> then the next morning I wake up, it's my birthday, I wake up feeling sick, um, and then I was sick for the rest of the days. And I want to apologize to all people who have a, a worse immune system than myself, including Rory, for all the time that I've made fun of you for being sick. Man, it sucks. Being sick really, really sucks. It rarely happens to me. And uh, in these three days at home, I was just like, man, Days are long and being sick sucks. So I'm sorry if I've ever done any ill shaming, we could call it. Ill shaming. There's a new one for Twitter to latch onto. Um, I accept (laughs) your apologies, Tommy. Um, Yeah, it's pretty grim. I think you realize that like, yeah, how long a day is when Mm -hmm. there's like not much to do in the house. I don't know. Football manager filled it for me. But even then you're like, this is quite a long time. (laughs) This is quite a long time. I think that at 29, on the day of my 29th birthday, my my body was like, Tommaso, before we get to 30, I think you need to realize that you cannot keep on with these sleeping habits that you have now. You need to like take better care of yourself. And the chance might be that it's my fault if you cannot find any lemons or any honey in Milanese supermarkets because I've gotten them all, man. I went to the supermarket the other day. I just got three big bags of lemons to make like oh my God. hot <laughs> lemonade with ginger and honey. But I'm I'm back. I'm feeling great. You're back. He's back. And we've had, man, the Champions League this week was insane. <laughs> We are going to start very, very soon, and it's time for our... Sorry about my dog. (laughs) Did she sneeze? No, that's her barking. Calm the fuck (laughs) down. Right. All right. I guess it's time for our Euro review. (laughs) Sorry. And it is up, up, and away in our beautiful European blimp as it is Champions League action this week. Tommy, have you enjoyed it? How much of it have you managed to sit and watch 
Well, I watched quite a few games. Uh, so on Tuesday night, I watched the Atalanta Manchester United, which we're going to cover very, very soon. And then yesterday, I got to see both AC Milan versus Porto, only the second half, however. And then, of course, Inter Milan away at Sheriff. What about yourself? I sat and watched United and the man with a million lives lived to see another day. Um, and last night, I had to pick between um, Liverpool, Atletico and Dortmund, Ajax. I thought whichever choice I made was going to be the wrong one. But actually, I think I did all right. I picked Dortmund, Ajax and it was a really, really good game. So I want to talk about that a little bit. But of course, we'll be focusing on the Anglo-Italian teams. Shall we start with the show in Bergamo? Oh my God, man. I was watching it with my friends, uh, Salvo and Andrea. And uh, towards the end, they were just like, ah, great. That's great for Atalanta. They've done it. And I was just like, oh, man, there is Ronaldo on the pitch. There is Ronaldo on the pitch. And then well, let's start Let's start from that loose ball and that volley. I mean, I... I, I, I've always I, I've always said it. I don't like the big debate, Ronaldo Messi. But mm. man, Ronaldo is a player that we are so going to miss once mm-hmm. he retires. Maybe not Atalanta. Maybe not Atalanta fans. Maybe they are not going to miss him. But it happened twice within two weeks. Atalanta were leading two 0 at Old Trafford, and then Ronaldo comes back, helps them with the comeback. They actually won that one, and this time around with a brace, they manage to equalize at the death of time, managing to get four points out of six against Atalanta. And uh, I guess that Atalanta and Gasperini's men really have to have a talk about holding a lead. Well, this is it. They've had six points basically in the bag and they've thrown it away both times. I think what we've seen with Atalanta now, obviously everything about them needs to be caveated with the fact that they have a lot of injuries at the moment and a lot of the players that are playing are not their first choice players. But even so, the players, like we said a million times, they know the system so well, they coach so well, they they do play well. But I just, they cannot take their chances. When they are 1-0 up, when they are 2-0 up, they can't get that final goal to kill the game. I thought Mm -hmm. a player like Zapata, now I saw a lot of people online saying he had an incredible game, and he did have an incredible game. He caused all sorts of problems for United. But on the same hand he had a pretty bad game. Like, he could have had a few more goals and there was a few chances that I think he should have put away. I think I remember one or two, I thought a more clinical striker might have this team a few goals ahead. So it's the same old story for Atalanta. And for United, it's kind of the same old story. They just rely on the same person. Ronaldo has now assisted or scored 50% of their goals this season. To be relying... Yeah, exactly. It's ridiculous, right? And to be relying on a 36, 38-year-old striker is not a long-term plan, right? Um, 36. E- 36. 36. It's not even a short-term plan. Like, it is just coincidence that this guy happens to be so good. And I think United, although we've said it before, I just don't understand. It makes me angry how when Arsenal were terrible, we lost every game, right? United are terrible, and they managed to win and draw. And you're like, there's just no justice in the world. But then we don't have Cristiano Ronaldo, right? I don't know. It just, it really makes me quite angry. It it does, and man, I, I just have like there were so many beautiful things in this game. The Bruno Fernandes, the, the play for the first Manchester mm-hmm. United goal was absolutely stellar. I loved that little Bruno Fernandes back heel slash layoff towards Ronaldo to make it one one. But Atalanta, man, that second goal by Duvan Zapata, which I don't understand why it took two minutes to be validated <sighs> when he was clearly onside. 
I man, the the atmosphere at the Atlanta Stadium felt electric, like all these people waiting for the two one. You it heard them in came. the background going, "Oh!" <laughs> for two minutes, and they were like building up, building up, building up. There was a great line, a commentary line on um, the UK coverage, which was Steve McManaman. So obviously, Harry Maguire's defending for that goal left a lot to be desired. Let's mm-hmm. say that, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and Steve McManaman said, "Oh, don't worry, Harry knows he's offside. Harry knew he was offside." Um, <laughs> Are you sure, Steve? Because a lot of people are making a lot of excuses for Maguire at the minute. He had a shocker of a game. Bloody hell, he was all over the place. Yeah, no, and uh, and Zapata, man, I told you during the game, I don't understand how no Premier League club has has Mm. made a bid in these years because I think he would be the perfect striker for that league. Another player that really, really impressed me for Atalanta was Teun Kopminers. Um, He really had an incredible game wearing number seven on the back just like Cristiano Ronaldo, but playing in a very different position. He was everywhere, all over the pitch. He had an incredible game. And I think that at the end, uh, Gasperini could be to blame for that substitution at the 71st minute. Luis Muriel in, Josip Ilicic out. Mm. Now, Luis Muriel is a great player. He's been injured, however, for quite a bit. He's just made his first appearances in Serie A. I've been watching him closely because I have him in fantasy football and I want to understand if he's a good replacement for Ozyman once he will leave for the African Cup of Nations. Okay. And I, he's not, and I, I'm reading a few Atalanta blogs at the minute as well, and the fans are not very happy with the way he's come back. They say he's come back with his flip-flops on and I noticed it against United too. Mm-hmm. He would never, ever drop back. And I'm not saying that it's his fault, but he doesn't offer any defensive coverage whatsoever, which is something that Josip Ilicic had done a bit more uh, compared to him. Yeah, Rory. Well, this is it, exactly. And with Atalanta, we've seen that the style relies so heavily on that ridiculous press and the like, how long that press needs to go on. The whole system relies on that. And as we know, with pressing, when one of the pieces doesn't press, that's when gaps start to appear and that's when space is found. So I think... Yeah, there was definitely a drop off of intensity when Ilicic came off. Um, and I think and you can there was also there also was an offensive play with Zapata. Uh, Muriel gave him a, a ball that was a bit too short, and then Zapata mm-hmm. was kind of caught caught up by the defenders, and he had to pass it back to Muriel. That could have been the three one. Mm-hmm. And you don't want to fuck around with uh, Manchester United because they've got that man. And dude, Cristiano Ronaldo's movement on that second goal is incredible. He just like looks for the play then tries to make a pass. There are a bunch of people touching it, but he follows the movement of the ball Mm. so well. He knows exactly where it's going to go, and you cannot do anything with it. I think the goalkeeper dived at the right time, but then when it caresses the post in that way, you cannot do anything about it. That's it. It was placed absolutely perfectly. But was was there a handball in the build-up, Tommy? I think there was a handball in the build-up from Greenwood. Ooh, I didn't see that one. Really? I think as the ball comes through, he kind of knocks it with his hand a little bit or it knocks his hand. I think there's a bit of a area for complaint there for Atalanta fans, possibly. But they did check it, I think, on the VAR, yeah? They did check it, and I was surprised. I was genuinely surprised it wasn't ruled out. Um, but one player I also wanted to give their um, just rewards to was a United player, actually. And it's Eric Bailly. Now, I think this guy Ooh, we've known... Yes, we've, yes. we've known that he, his injury record is what really is kind of holding him back. The fact that he does miss quite a lot of games a season obviously means that he hasn't been able to get any 
long runs of form together. But whenever I see him play, I'm always impressed by his pace, his ability to like, even if his positioning isn't the best, his ability to recover from that is incredible. And in this game, his ability to clean up after Maguire was what kept the game respectable. Like he, every time Zapata got through on goal, or he took a first touch. Bailly was there to clear the ball. Bailly was there to knock it out for a corner, to get it out. It was always Bailly, 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 Bailly there every time. And I thought, well, this guy is United's best defender, right? This guy is their best defender. I loved when he just went with his body in front of Zapata. Zapata was about to shoot mm-hmm. two steps away from De Gea. And you see Bailly just like flying in with his shoulder and he got the ball. And then there was another incredible tackle. It wasn't really a tackle. It was a very athletic move. Um, he slides and he puts his leg up as Zapata is crossing in for somebody who is in front of an open goal. And that was incredible. And what I loved at the end is that both Bayi and Zapata, as soon as the final whistle came, mm. they went towards each other to swap jerseys. And I love when it's the forward and the defender that has broken his balls for the 90 minutes <laughs> to swap <laughs> jerseys. They, there was really a genuine handshake, just like, good game, man, like, good game. It's been a lot of fun. Yeah, you're right. I did right. notice that. I did notice that. I like that. I was like, yeah, two opponents that have kind of respecting each other. I'm a big, big fan of that. For United, for Ollie, just how much luck does this guy have? Like, <laughs> I've seen it. It's been on Twitter all this week, but we'll have to talk about Conte taking over at Tottenham, right? Woo. So... Ollie beats the team that sacks their manager, who then hire the guy who's the biggest threat to his job. So now he's going to stay in his job. That is levels of like 4D chess, they call it. It is. It's 4D chess. Yeah, we're playing checkers. He's playing chess. He got the guy sacked by playing a contest system, like (laughs) 3-5-2, right? That that is the ultimate move, the ultimate pawn in in Ollie's... For the chess, Rory, you're unaware of this because I'm doing the editing this week, but we've already got the title, The Man with a Million Lives, Oli Kunar-Solskjaer. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> but um, where does this leave the two teams as Villarreal defeat Young Boys 2-0? Manchester United are top of the group with seven points on even points, actually, with Villarreal. Atalanta are trailing by two. They're sitting at five and Young Boys are at three. Rory, on the spot, who's going to go through? Who's going to go through? I'm going to say, because Ollie is the luckiest man alive, I'm going to say United go through and oh, I'm going to say Villarreal. I'm going to say the two that are top, they go through. I think Atalanta, we've seen, they just haven't got that finishing touch yet. They've just not got it. I'm going to say Atalanta and Manchester United. Uh, Atalanta are going to play the next two games against the first Young Boys and then Villarreal, while Villarreal still have to play the second game against Manchester mm. United. So I'm going to back the Bergamaschi to go through. On the same day, we had the Juventus winning 4-2 against our sister club, the sister club of the pod, Zenit St. Petersburg. We're sorry, bros. Um, but at the same time, that wasn't a great display of football, I have to say. From what I saw in the highlight. <laughs> they, weren't, they weren't particularly fantastic. Um, but the referee didn't help either. The referee definitely oh, did really? not help. Really? Oh, really? <laughs> um, we've had a comment. We had a comment on Twitter from Mark Bowen, who I believe runs the Zenit English account. And he did say, if this refereeing display is what you have to put up with week in, week out, and say, yeah, I do not understand how you've not boycotted Juventus yet. So we have another member on the <laughs> fuck Juve 
Tall boss. We have another member officially. Correct. Um, I think that the Ritiro really worked for Juventus. Do you have this thing in uh, in England? When a team performs very badly, they go in a Ritiro. Ritiro, it means that they... Do, do you know what it is? Yeah, I know what it is, but I, we don't have it in England. Explain it for the listeners. Yeah. yeah, basically, it's when a team is going is performing really badly. The manager and the club they make a decision, which is to uh, gather all the players at the training ground, and uh, they gather them all there, and they get to spend their entire week there uh, without their cell phones, without any outside distractions, so they can solely focus on football. Juventus have also employed a psychologist for the team. With my friends uh, on the fantasy football group, we were fantasizing about the meeting between Bernardeschi, <laughs> the psychologist. Uh, you will remember the interview after we won the Euro Cup this summer. He was just like, it's, it's been so difficult for me. You know, it's been a very tough year. And he's got this very funny voice and somebody in the group chat really made me laugh. And he said, he's going to give the psycho the psychologist a breakdown. <laughs> like, yep. But Juventus win 4-2. Dybala is back and he overtakes Michel Platini's Juventus wow. goal scoring record. Celebrating. Did you see the celebration? Uh, I did. I laid did. down on the ground like that. Uh, uh, this that, is, this was also famous. the same day that Platini has been um, charged with fraud, right? <laughs> it was really quite a uh, oh, chef's kiss moment, that, I'll be honest. And in this game, I also have to say, uh, there was a, an incredible uh, own goal by Bonucci. Bad luck, big time. But I've rarely seen an own goal like that. Just like somebody crossed the ball in from the edge of the box and he just hit it with his head and it went in. It was super it unlucky. Was beautifully placed and honestly Tommy the first thing that came into my head was okay yeah do that in the Champions League not in Serie A do not do it in Serie A I've got you in fantasy get that out of your system now do not do that in the league and then Chiesa and Morata to top it off the final result was 4-2 probably the most negative note for Juventus fans is that uh, Juventus conceded two goals the first goals that they have conceded so far in this Champions League season but still they're one of the four clubs with 12 points uh, after four games. So congratulations, Juventus. Chelsea are trailing by three. They also won 1-0. Rory, did you get to watch this game? I got to see bits of it. From what I saw, it looked like a fairly laboured win from Chelsea. They managed to get the goal through Ziyech, who it seems can only really score in the Champions League. It's definitely his competition. But for the, the thing that struck me was the atmosphere in uh, Malmo was absolutely outstanding. The fans were incredible. A real kind of, a proper kind of fortress, even though they've not done particularly well in the um, in the competition, as to be expected. They scored zero points. <laughs> yeah, we knew, but we knew they were going to struggle, right? And it's a difficult yeah. group. But I feel like the fans are what's important in football, right? That's what we've been trying to tell ourselves. And I was just yeah. really impressed by the atmosphere there. Um, for Chelsea, it's just a kind of routine three points. It's important to it really is important to try and finish top, right? It really is important. I think it would have annoyed them that Juventus managed to get four goals in the end. Um, but, you know, they're both through. They'll be fine. Um, for Zenit, damn it, Zenit. I really wanted you this unbeaten run to keep going uh, after we've formed our partnership. But, you know, better luck well, next time. <laughs> Always on Tuesday in Group E, we had Bayern trash Benfica 5-2 with a customary Lewandowski Champions League hat-trick on his 100th appearance in the competition. He's got 81 goals in 100 games. 
what? Ballon d'Or numbers or what? It is insane. And I was reading somewhere that he scored in 19 consecutive games. Is that right? I didn't see that stat. It wouldn't surprise me, though. I, like, I, I saw that on Twitter. I think it, he, it is a Bayern record, but it sounds about right. Scoring in 19 consecutive games. Ah, Please no, tell it, us if that's right. Sorry, no, no, no. I had the stat too. Sorry, he scored 12 goals in 11 consecutive games. Yep. Oof. 12 goals in 11 consecutive games. Has to yep. be Ballon d'Or. Has to be Ballon d'Or winner. We've talked about yeah. it before. He has to win it. No, no it's choice. just it, it's just like it's one of those Wikipedia pages that you will look at and you expect there to be a Ballon d'Or win at some point mm-hmm. in his career. He absolutely deserves it. But as beautiful as his goals were, I think that Nabri's backheel was actually oh. the coolest thing that happened in the, that game. Um, what club sold him to Bayern Munich, Rory? Um, it was Werder Bremen. Yeah, yeah, it was Werder. It was, it was, I still remember that it was Arsenal, Rory. Am I wrong? No, 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 no. That deal, that deal was fascinating. We sold him to Werder Bremen uh-huh. with the agreement that they would then sell him to Bayern in a year. No what? idea. No right, idea. fine. Just give him to Bayern, right? So that we, <laughs> if we ever go back to the Champions League and we play Bayern, he can score against us. Well, <laughs> Arsenal Twitter has been a light because his contract runs out soon. So all of Arsenal Twitter has been very sensible and expecting us to get him on a free. So nobody can be disappointed there, right? But also the most disappointing thing about Group E for the Anglo-Italian pod is seeing that Barcelona with two goals only so far in the Champions League, managed to get six points, and all of a sudden, everything looks rosier. Benfica are trailing by two. They're sitting third with four points. Dinamo Kiev are pretty much already out with only one point. But yeah, it's starting to feel like Barcelona, who have to play Benfica and Bayern, could make it. But I'm sure that Bayern, even if they're going to be through already, they're just going to win that game. They don't care. Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm still sticking with my um, prediction that they won't go through the groups. We need to talk about Barcelona, actually, Tommy. On the last pod, we kind of said that Xavi was manager, but he isn't. It's all no, gone a isn't. bit mad. The Barcelona, so Al Sad, they said no to them having Xavi. Then they said, okay, send a representative from your club out to Saudi Arabia. They went. And then they went, nah, you can't have him. Which I think is a pretty baller move, like making them pay for a flight and stuff. Um, so it's still to all Saudi up in Arabia the... as well. <laughs> yeah, it's still all up in the air about um, who is going to be their manager. I think it's kind of expected that it's going to be Xavi, but God knows. So they are still... Who is in charge at the moment? Is it their assistant? I've no idea. I bet it's the assistant. I don't really know who it is. But they managed to win. Two, they, they've got two wins by, and they've scored only one goal in each. But whatever. <laughs> We will see. Only time will tell. Um, I thought the Italian in you would respect that cleanliness of 1-0 wins, keep it tight at the back, etc. No, keep it tight at the back. Just let me look at the stats one second. No, they've conceded six (laughs) goals in four games and they've scored two in four. So, fuck that. Um, Group G, Wolfsburg managed to win 2-1 against the Salzburg and Lille won away at Sevilla 2-1. This makes for another very interesting group as Salzburg are sitting top with seven, followed by Lille and Wolfsburg, both on five points, and Sevilla still only at three. But this means that actually all four teams could make it through the group stage. So this is definitely one to keep an eye on. At the beginning, when we did our group stage episode, I said 
This is the group to keep an eye on because I have no idea who's going to go through. It's a really interesting group because Sevilla are currently second in La Liga, one point off top behind Real Sociedad. They are having a very good season. But in the Champions League, they just can't really seem to get their form together. So it's really weird what's going on here. Salzburg have just ended a 28-game unbeaten run by losing to Wolfsburg, I think. So some re- some teams here in good form. And just your hipster's choice of a group. And I think, yeah, as... We slowly see the groups getting wrapped up. This is the one to keep an eye on. Let's move to the Wednesday fixtures and let's start from the group featuring the mighty Inter Milan. So, Inter Milan, after I was so worried about Sheriff, but here we go, ladies and gentlemen. Six points, six goals scored, two conceded. I'm well happy with the final result. And finally, finally, we are second in the standings at seven point. Now, these there is, there is still a lot to play for because, you know, Real Madrid are first at nine points, Inter are at seven, Sheriff are at six, and Shakhtar Donetsk, they are at one, and they kind of need a miracle to stay in the competition or even to go to the Europa League. Now, about Inter Milan's game, in the first half, Inter had 14 shots. Um, still no goals. Uh, we weren't very clinical in front of goal. The goalkeeper had a few incredible saves. Um, and I have to say something about the stadium. Whenever Inter had a possession, the stadium became such a spooky atmosphere. It was like very silent and you would hear, ooh, boo, boo. It was just like, it wasn't even just a group of people going boo. It was like individuals, you know, it was kind of spooky. <laughs> and of course, in the first half, I thought, I know how this game is going to end. Some motherfucker is going to score the 1-0 at the 78th minute and then we'll lose the game. But no, I was wrong because Arturo Vidal had an incredible game. Arturo Vidal really in form ever since his comeback from his injury. Maybe it's the little panda that is driving. Uh, I'm loving that. That's a pretty baller move as well. I love it. Do you know that somebody put the driver's plate, the license plate on the internet to see if he, <laughs> if he was paying for the insurance and he hasn't paid for the insurance in 10 years? <laughs> it's illegal to go around with that car. Uh. Um, so, Classic st- Vidal. Can I say that's very on brand? That's very somebody on-brand. started a petition online, like a GoFundMe thing, to collect the money for Vidal to pay for the insurance, <laughs> which is like 200 euros per year. But uh, we will let you know how that is going. But Arturo Vidal we had an incredible game and he managed to lay off the ball brilliantly to Marcelo Brozovic, who was cold blooded enough to dribble and then shoot on target and make it 1 0. This is Marcelo Brozovic's first ever. Champions League goal in seven years at the club. Congratulations, Marcello, for your achievement. And then we had a goal by Skriniar at the 66th minute, which was not easy to bag because the goalkeeper was there, ready to um, ready to defend his own goal against the Vrij, against the Skriniar. And finally, at the third touch, the ball went in. And then Sanchez topped it off at the 82nd minute. And that was a beautiful, beautiful goal. Uh, he really wanted it. He followed through with the play, even though the defender had seemingly already gotten the ball. And that was beautiful to see. It's nice to see, uh, in my opinion, three different goal scorers, including Sanchez, on the week uh, of the derby. And we're going to talk about that very soon. Um, and then Sheriff scored at the 92nd minute, which was really annoying because Inter was kind of on a streak of clean sheets after a 
after some time, it could have been the third in a row. So nope, we got to start all over again to have a new streak of clean sheets. Well, I was about to say, it's something we've talked about before, the lack of an ability to keep clean sheets. So I think you're right. The momentum was important to kind of keep it going. It's one of those annoying goals, but ultimately, does it really matter? I did see someone tweet, it's not an intergame without watching Handanovic watch a ball go into the net. But um, the for me, just seeing Sanchez score in the Champions League and such a beautiful goal was really nice. I was like, oh shit, he's back. Sanchez is back for a bit and before they, he goes yeah, again. Right. No, and the thing about Sanchez is that I think he relies a lot on these moments. He scores a beautiful goal, and then he's like, I'm the fucking best again. And then maybe he scores another one in the derby. We shall see. I'm very happy about the performance. And then in Madrid, a Benzema brace seals the deal for the Blancos against the Shakhtar Donetsk, who managed to score their very first goal in the competition so far. Karim Benzema becomes the man to score Real Madrid's 1,000th goal in the Champions League. They're the first club to do so, and I think it's particularly fitting that it was him as it was Ronaldo for the 800th, Ronaldo for the 900th, and now it's Benzema for the 1,000th. I do like that. There does seem to be a bit of a pattern. Um, Yeah, could it be anyone else in that Real Madrid team? It should have only really been him. I think if it had been like Casemiro or something, it just wouldn't have felt right. eh? It's good that Benzema got it. Um, However, Casemiro, both Casemiro and Vinicius involved in the play for the mm -hmm. second goal. And what a beautiful goal it was. Just like very free-flowing football. Love to see that. They are slowly starting to get a bit of a team together again, eh? Maybe they're not that much of a mess. Who knows? <laughs> no, I think actually they were they were commenting on it last night on uh, Amazon Prime, and uh, I think they are right. It's one of the most underrated teams mm-hmm. in the competition this season. Uh, they've got Ancelotti as a manager. I think that hasn't been talked about enough, and Ancelotti is the man that brought them the 10th Champions League, and I think... Well, we all know he's a great manager and they think Real Madrid could cause a few problems to the big names in the competition. Inter play Shakhtar Donetsk next at the San Siro and then the Champions League campaign will finish with a trip to the Bernabeu. But hopefully with a win against Shakhtar, we are through and we don't have to worry about it anymore. Moving on to a very Anglo-Italian group, the group featuring Milan and Liverpool. Rory, are Liverpool back to being the inevitable team that we've loved to see over the past uh, few years? I think they almost certainly are. This is the game. This is the group that was labeled the group of death, right? We have to remember this. This was like, oh, this is the hardest group. How, who the hell is going to go through? Well, Liverpool have won four out of four, scoring 13 and only conceding five. Now, they've scored 13. The rest of the group have scored 11 collectively. (laughs) So to say that they've made light work of this group, I think is an understatement. But that being said, Atletico helped them on a whole new Atletico scale. How poor they were is ridiculous. And I think we need to talk about... um, Now, I know Atletico won La Liga last year but they've actually been underperforming in the Champions League for a while now. So I looked at their record. In the last five years, they've never got past the group, the round of 16. And two of those years, they went out in the group stage. So I think Atletico, we still kind of think of them as when they got to the final and lost twice to Real Madrid or whatever, right? Were them. <laughs> but that's quite a long time ago now. And I like they have been disappointing in Europe. And I do wonder whether Simeone is maybe being found out in Europe or maybe... His tactics haven't moved on enough. I'm not sure, but 
they really they made it so easy for Liverpool. And look, we know that Atletico always tread a tightrope when it comes to discipline, when it comes to like how their teams are going to play, etc. It's always a dangerous game. But when they do things like this, when it goes badly, it goes really badly. And it just played into Liverpool's hands massively. That being said, I still don't think the red card affected the game because Liverpool had it won <laughs> already. <laughs> like, I don't think it actually affected what the outcome would have been. What did you make of the red card? Um, I didn't actually see the foul. I'll be honest. I haven't really actually seen the foul, but I just love looking at my uh, football app. It says Sadio Mane 2 0 at the 21st minute, and then 36th, 37th, and 38th, it's red card, yellow card, and yellow card for Atletico. So I definitely love to see that. I didn't get to see the red. Was it a clear tackle, a clear red? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He just ran behind Mane and just kicked him. Like, he just absolutely <laughs> boots him. And then when the referee goes to give him a yellow, it looks like he's going to give him a yellow card, and he blows his whistle, and Felipe just runs to the other end of the pitch, just runs away from him. And he mm-hmm. blows his whistle again, blows his whistle again. And then he's like, fuck it, I'm just going to give you a red. He just keeps going, red card, angriest face in the world, and uh, sends him off. I think absolutely zero complaints. It did remind me of, did you, did you ever play the computer game? I think it was Sensible Soccer, no. one of the early ones, where there was a glitch in the game that if you ran away from the ref when you fouled, you never got sent off. You could just run away and the referee never caught you. And it just kind of reminded me of that. He was like, nope, nope. If, if I'm not looking at you, you can't send me off. Um, but he did get sent off. Um, and then it all just fell apart from there, really. Atletico offered very little up front. They were far too easy to play through. And with 10 men, it's only going to be harder. Liverpool just looks so, so cutthroat. Just it, it, Diogo Jota has been such an incredible signing for them. Like, mm-hmm. really, people aren't talking enough about how smoothly he's fitted into that team and just consistently gets goals. Um, and then Mane as well, of course, like their second highest score in the Premier League, such a key player. And Liverpool look like they're going to be one of the contenders for the trophy, without a doubt. And the other game in the group was AC Milan versus Porto, which ended 1-1. AC Milan's first point in the competition so far this season. I only got to watch part, <laughs> congratulations, boys, part of the <laughs> second half. And AC Milan, I have to say, AC Milan had their chances. But I, as an Inter fan, I'm just like... I don't like how people are accepting how much AC Milan are sucking in the Champions League because they're so mouthy in the Serie A. They keep talking about the fact we don't see any other teams that are better than us, blah, 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 blah. Then you go to Europe and you don't even manage to get one win against Porto. I'm going to talk about Mm -hmm. Porto because they're a good team, but I don't like the... I don't know. And then Pioli, the AC Milan's manager in the interview after the game, is just like, you know... It's an experience. It's all part of an experience. And each of these games is going to teach us something. And all the people in the room interviewing them, they're like, yup, it's all part of a process of growth. Yeah, like you played still a very good game. You were kind of unlucky. If it was Inter Milan, oh man, if we were first in Serie A and then managing to get only one point against the Porto after four games, they would just be like, no, this team doesn't have what it takes to do anything this year. So that really Well, I'm pretty sure that's what happened last year, no? Last year when you were top of the table and struggling in Europe, that's exactly what happened. Well, I have to say say that there was Conte as well and we the Mm. second season of Conte in charge. But um, about the game, I I still can't understand why AC Milan are so 
underperforming in Europe. Their system just does not work in Europe. I think they think they're a very quick and fast-paced team, but then they play against these oppositions like Liverpool or uh, mm-hmm. Porto, and they're constantly found out. Now, in this game, Porto could have had three, but AC Milan could have had three as well. There was a beautiful save on Olivier Giroud, who shot from way behind mm. the edge of the box. And I thought for one second, Andanovic wouldn't have gotten that one on <laughs> Sunday night at the Derby. Um, Rory, did you get to watch the highlights? What do you think of this game? Um, I saw the second half. Yeah, it seemed like Milan just laboring, very uninspiring, not much really. It looked quite comfortable, really. I think Porto were quite happy to get out of there with a point. Um, and Milan looked like they weren't able to really get any further than a point. So I think it wasn't the most entertaining, but I do wonder why, like you said, I wonder why Milan can't quite replicate their form. I did see some people online talking about, well, now they're best off just sacrificing the competition and just um, concentrating on the league. Yes, but they, that wasn't their initial intention going into the competition. So why nope. have they done so badly? It's okay to say that now. And I've seen Milan fans going, actually, like you get every year with fans, oh, we don't want the Europa, actually, let's concentrate on the league. Well, yeah, but you did want to be in the Champions League. That's what you yeah. spent all last year trying to achieve. So why are you not angrier at the fact that you've got there and completely shat the bed? Like, mm-hmm. why are you not pissed off about it? I don't understand. Um Maybe it is purely not being like tactically. Like, has he managed in Europe before? That might be a really naive thing to say. That's his first time. It's his Mm. first time in the competition. Um, Look, the funny thing is that AC Milan still have a chance. I think they can get the three points against Atletico Madrid. Uh, There is going to be an international break in between and everything. I think they can get those three points. But then it's the game against Liverpool at the San Siro, which I think is going to be extremely tough for them. Mm. And they would probably need to win both to go through. Again... Only time will tell. Rory, let's move on to the group that you actually watched the game of. Dortmund, Ajax. Was that on Hummels, a red card, in your opinion? No. No. I think it looked bad. It's one of those that looks looks bad. bad. Because you're taking a screenshot, right? It's like Mm -hmm. a photo of it. And it's not like Anthony goes through for the tackle. I Initially, when it happened, I was like, is that a red card for Ajax or for Dortmund? I can't figure mm-hmm. it out because the Anthony tackle looked fairly reckless. And then on the like on the shot that they chose, it looked like Hummels was stamping on his leg. I but that's not think, how it happened. If I you know what I mean, just, I think it was it like looked bad. The foot was in that yeah. position that you cannot use in football, but then he didn't get him and actually got stepped on accidentally by the guy that he wanted to tackle. Um, I would have just given it a yellow, maybe. Mm-hmm. It looked bad, though. I have to say that at first I was just like, oh, my God, that's a career-ending like foul. But then I watched it again, and I was like, nope, they're not. Did it influence the game uh, a lot, in your opinion? Yeah, so the English the referee was, of course, English. It was Michael Oliver, and he's apparently one of our better ones, but he did not put English referee in, in a good light. He made some fairly baffling decisions throughout the game, and I think the home crowd were getting quite angry with him. But it did make the game really interesting. I think it's not often you see a a team be one man down and one goal up, and I think it made the game really, really interesting. Um, Ajax are an unbelievable team to watch. Now, Mm -hmm. again, all of this needs to be caveated with Dortmund. We're down to 10 men, but even so... And Haaland was not playing. 
Yeah, and they have a lot of injuries. They have five first-team players out and now six because Torgan Hazard went off injured in the first half as well. So things are not getting better at um, Borussia Dortmund. But Ajax play some of the best football I've seen recently. (laughs) And I think Ten Hag, we've talked about him briefly, but I want to talk about him a little bit more because... He's now created two teams that could realistically, like the first one challenged for the Champions League, you know, get into the semi-final, almost get into the final. And this team, I think, could, like any team who meets them in the knockout rounds is not going to be like, they're not going to be happy. They're going to be like, okay, we need to, like, this is going to be a fucking game. Like, they've got a perfect blend of youth and experience with players like Tadic, bringing in players like Haller, who has had a start that nobody could have expected, really. Seven goals League top goal scorer, yeah. Seven goals in four games in the Champions League, and he scored in his first four Champions League games. Now, Tommy, he's only the fifth player to do this, right? I'm going to ask you, can you name one of the other five players who scored in their first four Champions League performances? Damn, this is a tough question. Their their first four ever. Yeah. There are as many as five? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was surprised as well. Well, should we go with Robert Lewandowski? No. Ah, wait, let me go with another name. This is a fun quiz. Uh, Ronaldo? The Phenomenon? No. No, no, no. no. It's going to be funny. Uh, Inzaghi? No, Inzaghi, no. No, there is an Italian. There is an Italian. Was it Simone Inzaghi, Inter's no. manager? No. All right, go for it. I don't know. Okay, it is Ze Carlos. All right. Del Piero. Shit, Ale. Diego Costa, Diego Costa, Diego Costa, Diego Costa, and a man who should have been on the pitch, Erling Haaland, of course. Oh, right. Damn, this is an interesting stat. Well, Sebastian Haller, holy shit. And you can I know that is a great company to be in. And he is like, West Ham fans will be looking at and going, where the fuck was that player? What is happening? But. Ten Hag, we have to remember that Ajax went five years without being in the Champions League, right? They went like, they were a bit of a mess not that long ago. Then Frank de Boer took over, and this was when Frank, before Frank de Boer was a, a, a running joke, and he actually steadied the ship and kind of got Ajax back on level footing. But since then, Ten Hag has really pushed this club forward and getting them to the semi-final of the Champions League just transformed that club, transformed the money what they were able to do with it. They've invested wisely. Of course, they've got the youth system that they can always rely on. And this team just looks incredible. The players that really stood out to me were Anthony. Um, I love getting, that guy, Anthony. Yeah, big time. Getting three assists, a right winger who loves to kick, cut inside on his left foot. Um, the cross for the Tadic goal was beautiful, although it oh did God. cause Tadic to impale himself on the post and go full Phil Bab, as we say in England. That looked... <laughs> Very, very painful. Um, I did enjoy your celebration of like celebrate, grab his penis, celebrate a bit more, grab your penis, celebrate a bit more. He was like limping and limping, and then finally got to celebrate. It was a great goal, and then from then Ajax just pushed on. I think Dortmund, with all these injuries, they really are really are struggling, but they kept the game competitive for a long time with ten men. It's just ultimately they did get tired, and that is understandable, I suppose. 14 goals scored in four games for Ajax. That's an average of more than three goals per game and only two goals conceded, which makes them one of the best defenses in the competition this far. If it wasn't for Chelsea, who 
who have conceded only one. And I have to say about Ajax, in the other division, they've scored 37 goals and conceded two. So they do not they do not struggle to score goals and they do not struggle to keep clean sheets. These guys are contenders. Like they are well, definite contenders. These guys are not fucking around and neither are sporting uh, who have defeated Besiktas 4-0 at home. And now the standings read Ajax first at 12 points, Dortmund second on even points with the Sporting at six, and Besiktas still at zero. The next game, you already know, is going to be Sporting against Dortmund. Haaland should be back, but it's going to be a tight one, I think. A very interesting group to keep an eye on. And finally, to wrap it all up, we've got Manchester City 4, Club Bruges 1, Manchester City now with nine points, PSG <clears throat> with eight after drawing 2-2 to Leipzig, and then Club Bruges at four and Leipzig at one. Let's start from City, Rory. 4-1 win, pretty convincing. This is just a routine European win for City. I think they do this fairly often. Um, I think we expected a bit more from Bruges this competition, but I'm not going to slag them off too much. Like, Arsenal lost 5-0 at the Etihad, so they did better than us. But for City... They have just slowly and effectively got through this group. And we need to talk about Cancelo. Now, he, from left back, created eight chances and got three assists. Now, am I right in saying, Tommy, that Inter may have sold this guy? Uh, Yes, but then so did Juve. It's just like, I don't understand why he had only one season at Inter Milan, then only one, and he did very well at Inter Milan, Mm -hmm. then did very well at Juventus. And then he went to City, and I, <clears throat> I want to say that over the past two years, he's been kind of forgotten. Like mm. he got he's kind of reg- been in and out of the team a little bit. Yeah, right. Yeah. But now it seems like he's he's the best in his position so far in Europe. He is absolutely killing it. And the cross for the header, which was uh, I think it was the Jesus goal, was an absolutely beautiful cross. Um, and yeah, he really is becoming key for him. I think. I was looking a bit into City for our weekly topic, uh, which we're going to move on to. And I've kind of noticed the fact that they do spread the goals around the team so well. And I feel like that's why their left back and their right back and stuff suddenly become so clutch for like two months. And then it'll be Gundogan and then it'll be Foden and then it'll be De Bruyne. And they kind of spread the responsibility around the team really well. And I think this is kind of Cancelo's time to shine. City are now, well, they're through the groups, right? Yeah, they're in nine points. Yeah, they, they are almost through the group. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, I mean, if Club Bruges won two, they could be a 10. But yeah, they're pretty much through. But the other game was PSG Leipzig. Leipzig, whom had a chance to go 2-0 up in the very early stages of the game. But then they had to meet Gianluigi Donnarumma, who saved Andre Silva's penalty. But before that, we have to cover another goal by Christopher Nkunku, Who's reinvented himself as a sort of uh, striker? And he's not a striker. And it's fucking great. We love yeah, all that in- about it. He's insane. And I kind of feel bad for him because whenever I see him score, they seem to lose the game. And I'm like, yeah. damn it, this guy's doing his job. Why is everybody else not doing it? He must he must be sick of it. He must be sick of it. Um, but with the Donnarumma penalty save, I think that maybe they should like reduce XG on penalties for Donnarumma. Usually XG is like 075 
if you're mm-hmm. facing Donnarumma, it should be like 0.5 because it seems like that guy just saves every fucking penalty. There was a shot from behind the goal of John Donnarumma just standing in the middle of the goal. And it's got to be super intimidating for a forward mm-hmm. to take a penalty against him. He takes, if he opens his arm, he takes up three quarters of goal. Um, nice save, but also not a very good penalty for, from uh, Adrian Silva. They very were teammates fair. back in the day at uh, AC Milan. And then. Giorgino Vinaldum with a brace, Champions League man finally delivering. Do you think he's finally happy at PSG? I kind of forgot he was there for a little bit. Yeah, it was nice to see him get two goals and maybe maybe that all these superstars and these egos will actually start playing together. I saw people slagging off Pochettino. They are 10 points clear at the top of Liga and last time I checked. And I did see like people blaming Pochettino, but then you see PSG win and there's no intensity from the players whatsoever. There is no pressing. There's no like urgency. It's just a lot of players kind of strolling around the park and you're like, is this really Pochettino's fault or is this the players just not putting a shift in? I'm not sure which one it is. Uh, but maybe Vinaldo will one. finally get home, like feel at home. And that's it for the Champions League. As we are speaking, the Europa League is being played, but you will never believe it. We don't care. We are going to cover the Europa League. <laughs> apart later from West Ham. On... Apart from West Ham. We a- care apart about from West Ham. West Ham. Let me see what West Ham are doing. Are they playing already? Two, two. Let me stroll down. Let me stroll down. They are losing one nil to Gank. So oh, damn it, they've conceded a goal. They've conceded a goal in the Europa League. God and damn also, it. And also, and also, Napoli are losing one nil to Legia Varsavia. Your Oof. Polish friends. By the way, just one quick thing about these. Uh, we're going to cover the Europa League once we get to like the quarterfinals. But one funny thing about the Europa League, I was reading today, um, the, the the group that features um, the that features Lazio, Marseille, yeah, yeah. Lokomotiv Moscow, and Galatasaray. Yeah, fuck like, that group. No, yeah, no. I mean, honestly, <laughs> the fans from each one of these teams oh. are considered among like the you know red alert supporters in Europe, all in the same group. So good job, UEFA, for creating Can that group imagine galatasaray away at lazio or lazio away at galatasaray like fuck that you could Fucking not there's not money in the world to, to make me attend that game there is no way no but way Rory, before we move on to the um, Serie A and premier league preview i know that you have a few words about the english championship as a team defeated their opponents by 7-0 am i correct yeah, Fulham going absolutely humiliating Blackburn at home, 7-0. And the man that everybody is talking about at the moment, Alexander Mitrovic. They've only played 16 games in the championship and he already has 19 goals. So Bournemouth, finally, finally, they were unbeaten for 16 games. They lost to Preston North End, which means that they are now only on 37 points from 16 games, shortly followed by Fulham on 35 points. So it's all heating up at the top of the championship. And some feel-good news from the UK. I think it's feel-good news. It's kind of feel-good news. A man has been sentenced to 10 weeks in jail for sending racist abuse to Sancho, Saka and Rashford after the European Championships final. The judges kind of said, this is the most I could do. I'm trying to put a statement out there to discourage people. But I thought it was like, it's nice to see some action being taken against like when it feels like it happened so long ago, but it's good to see the actions being taken and hopefully these dickheads will learn their lesson. Spoiler alert is going to be in a cell with only black people. That would be the, the Fingers nice crossed. on top of it. Yeah, Fingers, Fingers crossed. crossed. 
that that happens, but it's time to preview both Serie A and the Premier League because we have some hot fixtures this weekend. Rory, we were in England for the championship. Let's stay there. If you are ready with your <laughs> notes, I'm going to take some time. And I'm always preview. ready. I'm always, I was born let's ready. Let's review the big games in the Premier League this weekend. It kicks off tomorrow. It kicks off tomorrow with Southampton versus Villa. Which is today Saint... for you listeners, sorry. <laughs> Which is today, correct, at St. Mary's. Um, can Dean Smith save his job? It's all looking a bit bleak for the villains. They've lost four, their last four games, and they're in 15th. Only three points above the relegation zone after such an impressive season last year. And after us talking them up and their transfer window at the beginning of the season, we could have egg all over our face, but not as much as Dean Smith. This genuinely is a game for him to rescue his job. That starts, as we said, today for you at 8 o'clock UK time. Then the big weekend kicks off. Half past 12 on Saturday, we have the... The meeting of two great tactical minds, two modern legends of the game, Pep Guardiola taking on Cristiano Ronaldo, and if he can be bothered <laughs> to save Ollie's job for another week. Um, Cristiano Ronaldo this, United, yeah. yeah. The weird thing about this game and this thing is that Ollie actually has a pretty good record against City and against Guardiola. Um, of the nine games he's played, he's won four and drawn one. So it's kind of four each. Um, so who genuinely, who knows how this game is going to go? It's as always with United, you think, well, yeah, it would be very United to just beat City. But then I can also kind of see another 6-1 at the Swamp happening. If you know what I mean, neither would really would really surprise me. So this is a game not to be missed what a way to kick off the weekend. Then we have Chelsea versus Burnley. Burnley finally starting to play some nice football, getting some goals together. Maxwell Corne has arguably been one of the signings of the season with three or four goals in the Premier League already. Chelsea obviously looking to continue their charge for the title. Then that is followed by Crystal Palace taking on Wolves at Selhurst Park. Another of the potential signings of the season, Huang, taking on Crystal Palace fresh from beating Manchester City at the Etihad. Can Patrick Vieira get a bit of form put together and get the Eagles flying up the table? Again on Saturday at 3 o'clock, we have Brentford versus Norwich City. Now, this is an interesting one because it's two of the promoted teams. Norwich went up as champions and Brentford went up through the playoffs. And Brentford are in much better shape than Norwich. Much better shape than Norwich. This is a game that ideally Norwich would, at the beginning of the season, they would have said, right, we need three points from this game. I think the way the season's going, they might be thinking, right, let's get one point from this game because it is not looking good. Daniel Farker looks like he could be out of the door as the Norwich fans are getting a bit fed up of the stagnation. He's not playing Billy Gilmore. There's all things going on in the background. Things are not looking rosy at Norwich. Then we have Brighton versus Newcastle on Saturday at half past six. Can the Seagulls pile more misery on the Magpies? I, I think have a sneaky feeling they might just Ooh. do it. It's, it's a bird fight, right? It's a bird off. <laughs> yeah, it's, a bird, yeah. it's a bird off, ladies and gentlemen. You know that uh, ha- half of this podcast, at least me, heavily backs the Seagulls to push for a, for a Premier League title. Um, they haven't won a game in seven. Uh, 
in these six games that they haven't won, there have been five draws and one defeat uh, uh, at home against Manchester City. I think this is the game for the goals to fly high again. And uh, if they don't win this one, then eh, there is something maybe to see at uh, at the Amex. Yeah, it's the, the Amex. The Amex. Amex. E- yep. Exactly. Yeah, I think that'll be an interesting game. Then we have, Tommy, we're actually finally going to have to talk about it, but very, very quickly because we have to do Serie A as well. Conte has taken over at Tottenham. Damn Ooh. it. And his first game is going to be Everton away. Now, Everton have been fucking all over the place. So this is actually quite a nice game for Conte to start off with. What do you expect from Conte at Tottenham, realistically? Okay, I think this is the ultimate test. If Conte cannot bring a trophy to Tottenham, then I think that Tottenham should take a break from any competition for one year, just sit down, stare at the wall, and think about who they are and what they stand for. Because if Conte cannot win anything, 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 then it means that there is like a curse on the club and it can't be done by anybody. I think it's an unusual appointment, uh, especially for Conte to take a job less than halfway through the season. Um, He's more of a guy that needs to prepare for the job in the summer and everything. But I think he's been in contact for quite some time. And if he accepted it, it means that he's sure of what he's doing. Um, He's going to change the system. We know that. They're going to play with a 3-5-2 from now on. Um, he's gonna find some. Uh, he's gonna find a very good centre back that was voted the cent- uh, defender of the year last mm-hmm. year in Serie A, Cristian Romero. You can be sure that he's always going to be a starter for that team. And for the rest, they kind of have to sit down and take a look at Tottenham's squad to try and figure out what changes he will implement. But definitely, you can expect the Tottenham players to be training super hard as we are speaking probably they haven't stopped running still, since this now. morning at 10 a.m <laughs> they're still running they he's still yelling at them that they suck and they're awful people and uh yeah, he's man. right he's right they are terrible players and people yeah yeah, yeah. and um it was actually kind of funny i saw he <laughs> saw these like pictures of the first training session with content it was smiles all over the place but i was just like man that's so surface he has to do it for the cameras and then <laughs> yeah, this- <laughs> The second those cameras are away. (laughs) Yeah, 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 exactly. But, hey, look, um, if I were a Tottenham fan, I would be well happy with this appointment. He comes in with a pedigree of a winner, um, of a guy that does his job in a super professional way. And, uh, yeah, let's see if if he can turn their faith around. What do you expect from this first game in charge, Rory? I think there's definitely going to be reaction, right? I think Kane's probably going to score too. It'll be the new manager bounce and it'll be, you can see, you can hear in my tone of voice how much I'm dreading the fact that this could actually go quite well. Um, Yeah, I think there's going to be a massive reaction. And as I said, Everton have been all over the place. This is kind of a nice-ish feature uh, fixture for Conte to walk in on. And yeah, we'll see if he can get the most out of Kane and Son because I think those front two, he really can get the best out of them. So Unfortunately, it looks like Tottenham have actually done something something sensible for once. Um, And at the same time, we've got the mighty Arsenal coming from three consecutive wins, undefeated in three, (laughs) four, five, six, seven, eight, nine games. What's happening? What's happening? I can't talk about it. I can't talk about it. That's why I'm doing it for you. Can they get to 10 undefeated against the Watford? I personally think they can as Watford are slightly struggling they've won only one in their last five 
removed as lightly. They've lost three, conceding God knows how many goals. They've drawn one to Newcastle. So I think, Rory, this is going to be the 10th undefeated game. We have to. We have to. We have to. And with Ramsdale in goal, who should be England's number one by this point, we have every bloody chance. Ramsdale, I'm, I think, I get a feeling he might come up in the weekly topic. Um, Ramsdale has been an unbelievable signing. I cannot believe how happy I am that he is at the club. He pulled off an incredible save against Madison. Arguably, I think it could be voted like save of the season by the end of the season. I <laughs> don't know if we're going to see a better save. It's than a that. double save. It's not even a save. Yeah, 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 yeah. It was incredible. He was giving it back to the crowd the whole fucking game. They were doing the, oh, your shit. Ah, when he was kicking off the ball, he turned around and gave it back to the fans. At the end of the game, he tapped the badge and bowed to the Leicester fans. Like, he fucking loves it. He's become a fan's favorite instantly. He's one of my favorites. And I think with him in goal, the sky is the limit. We're coming for it. I'm excited. That's all I'm saying. And then two more games. One is Leeds against Leicester. What do you make of this game, Rory? Um, Leicester need to find some form Leeds need to find some form this will be an entertaining game but God knows who's going to win I have a sneaky feeling Leeds might actually pile the misery on Leicester they looked a bit like lack of intensity from Leicester I think they start games really slowly and that's why Arsenal won the game in 20 minutes and after that it was kind of done Um, and I feel like with the pace that Leeds play at Leicester could struggle in this one do you want me to finish off the weekend we then finally have on Sunday West Ham versus Liverpool. This is going to be a great Ooh, game. I'm excited. What do you what do you think is going to go down at the Hammer Stadium? What's the stadium of the West Ham? I don't remember. The the London Stadium. Um I think that Tom is shitting himself, I'll tell you that. But I think I'm going to say draw. I'm going to say draw. I think West Ham are going to make it really really difficult for Liverpool. Um obviously West Ham are playing as we speak, but I feel like yeah, they're going to make it difficult. Liverpool kind of got a bit too comfortable against Brighton last weekend, thought it was mm-hmm. won and ended up being dragged back. So I feel like West Ham can get something in this game, but what we do know is it's going to be a very entertaining game. Liverpool playing incredible football and West Ham playing that quick incisive breakaway. This will be a game you don't want to miss, definitely. Let's move on to Serie A then. It all kicks off tonight on Friday night at 8.45 p.m. Italian time. And the first game of the weekend is Empoli against Genoa. Now, I was preparing for the weekly topic. We're going to talk about our predictions, our official predictions, now that we've seen how the Serie A and the Premier League are going. And I was looking at the teams that I think are going to get relegated. And I was like, wait, where is Empoli? Empoli just came up from Serie B. Empoli are sitting comfortably at the middle of the table, 11th position with 15 points. As many as Juventus, as many as Bologna, one more than Torino and one more than Sassuolo. So definitely they have been one of the surprise packages of this season. The last five games, they didn't do so well, but they still managed to win two against Salernitana away and against Sassuolo always away. Genoa, on the other hand, are one of the teams that is currently uh, struggling to get out of the drop zone. They're on eight points, on even points with Spezia. And over the last five games, more than five games, I mean, the last game that they've won was on September 12th against the Cagliari, a 3-2 win. And since then, it's been three losses and five draws. 
I don't think this is the right game for them to turn their faith around, but it's definitely going to be an interesting one, um, especially for Empoli. If they can get a win, then they will be comfortable at 18 points. And that's that's a good, goal te- a good point tally to have before the international break. On Saturday, we have a Spezia-Torino. Another interesting game. Torino finally collected some points last week against Sampdoria with an emphatic 3-0 win. Goals by Praet, Singo, and Belotti. And guys, we've been covering it. Uh, Torino are a very good team and they've kind of struggled because they had a, a very tough run of fixtures. They played consecutively against the Latin Napoli. And this, in these four games, they only managed to get two points. But then they won against Genoa. They lost only 1-0 against AC Milan. And finally, they were able to top it off with a 3-0 win against Abdoria. I think that they want their second consecutive win. And the Spezia might as well be the victim. Ever since their manager left, they haven't quite been able to perform in Serie A. And then, a big one, an Italian Serie A classic. Juventus take on Fiorentina (laughs) in a game that features... Two of the fan bases that hate each other the most in Serie A. And it all dates back to when Roberto Baggio left Firenze to join the Bianconeri. Fiorentina are in very good form. We didn't cover Vlaovic's brace against the Spezia because I was sick on uh, Monday night. But uh, Fiorentina are a scary team. Juventus are picking up form again. But we shall see. I think it's going to be an interesting game. Plenty of goals. Um, Juventus definitely have left that let's win all games 1-0. And especially Fiorentina are not a team that you can do that with. Ricardo Saponara is having a very, very good season for them. He's not always a starter, but when he gets in the pitch, he always makes a difference. There was a beautiful backheel pass uh, in the build-up to Vlaovic's third goal against. Both the of those, like two of those moves, were absolutely beautiful. Like there was some really nice football on display there, and I think yeah, Vlaovic against Chiesa, the two big names in Serie A. I feel like who can take the headlines? This is going to be an interesting one, right? It's going to be a good one. I recommend it to anybody. And then on Saturday night, we've got Cagliari against Atalanta. Cagliari are struggling so fucking much with such a good squad. It's unbelievable. Atalanta, on the other hand, over the last five games, they've won only one against Sampdoria. They have, in fact, drawn against Udinese and against Lazio. And then, of course, in the Champions League, they lost one and drew one against Manchester United. I think that they need to show signs of life, and this might as well be the game to do it. Um, We might see Muriel starting off, and this Mm -hmm. could be the right game to try and make a statement, I'm back. I'm ready to bang a goal in like I used you guys to. Then on Sunday, we've got Venezia Roma at 12.30 uh, p.m. Then Sampdoria Bologna, Udinese Sassuolo, Lazio Salernitana, Napoli Verona, which is probably the standout oh. game of these afternoon fixtures. Napoli Verona is going to be a good one. Also, big rivalry. Between the between the two fan bases, but Wait, why why do they because they're at opposite ends of the country, right? 
yeah, for that reason. That's the reason why oh, really? they, the Veronesi considered the Napolitani Africans and the oh, Napolitani okay. considered the the the, 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 the Verona Germans fans also. just like yeah, the Germans. <laughs> yeah. So do you remember there was in the, the Maradona documentary that we watched, there was that sign from the Napoli from the Verona fans that said you guys have got cholera, like oh yeah, you shouldn't be allowed in stadium. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. That oh, that was God. something, but Verona, Verona are a very good team. Uh, there is a certain Giovanni Simeone who is in stellar form. They managed to defeat Juventus 2-1. This is definitely a test for Napoli. They don't want to lose the top of the standings, especially because if AC Milan slip against Inter in the derby on Sunday night, then Napoli could be first all alone at the top of the standings. 8.45, AC Milan, Inter. I'll let you go first, Sorry, What do you think of this game? I was just going to say, Tommy, how the hell are you feeling ahead of this one? This is no, a no, big derby. This is a big, big derby. Now, we can talk about how Milan are currently on 31 points and Inter are on 24. That's a bit of a gap, seven points. If... You manage to win, you can get them back within range. If they win, Tommy, it's looking like that's a mountain to climb. I'm not very confident about it. How are you feeling? I'm feeling confident. Usually I shit my pants before derbies, and you can be sure that on Sunday night I'll be shitting my pants. (laughs) Uh, I'll be wearing a diaper. But uh, the thing is this one. About Inter, I think with a hit form. If it wasn't for that... Very controversial penalty against uh, Juventus. We would have had five consecutive, actually more than five consecutive wins. We would have had, uh, yeah, five consecutive wins if it wasn't for that draw at uh, against Juventus. So after the defeat against Lazio, I think that something has started moving at Inter. There were those two consecutive clean sheets in Serie A. I think we are at a good point. Um, we had we we changed manager this year and he plays with the same system of Conte, but of course he's gonna get his ideas through and everything. So I think it was normal that Inter didn't quite perform as they did last year. Hakimi left, Lukaku left, but I think that we're finding our identity. And going back to the win against the Sheriff, um, what I really liked is that we didn't lose our cool. That's what the interviewers were that were asking the players after the first half. They were just like, guys. Did you get frustrated? 14 shots, no goals. And both Brodzovic and Skriniar, they were just like, it's football. We are a very Mm -hmm. experienced and mature team. You just have to sit down. If you shot 14 times, then you got to be more clinical. And that's what we tried to do. And uh, so I think that the team is very mature. While, on the other hand, I think that AC Milan are playing great football, but they always are carried by their own excitement. And they think Mm -hmm. that in a game like this, you've got to be very, very focused. I think there are going to be goals on both ends, definitely. Uh, but I think that Inter Milan, in the end, they're going to come out winners. It's too important to win this game. And there is a certain Lautaro Martinez who hasn't scored in quite a few games. So maybe this could be the right game for him to feature again in the score sheet. And I think that a player that could really make a difference is Joaquin Correa, the man who scores only braces. In the fir- in, he scored in the last four Serie A games that he scored. It's always been braces. Two for Lazio, two for Inter Milan this season. But I think that it could be the key because he's very fast. He can dribble past the player. And I think that will be much, much needed against a very solid uh, defensive system like AC Milan's. But yes, I'm a little scared. If we lose it, we're 10 points behind. 
If we win it, we are only four points behind AC Milan and seven behind Naples, who are the team, the first team that we're going to take on after the two-week international oh, break. So Coming back to that, bloody hell. Yeah, 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 yeah. So AC Milan and Napoli consecutively, um, but we get to play two consecutive games, actually three consecutive games at the San Siro for that reason. So that's good for us. This is on Sunday night at 8.45 p.m., Anything more to add in the Euro review, Rory? I think that is it. Apart from Forza Inter, right? We want Inter, we need Inter to get this. We want a title challenge. We want the retaining of the Scudetto, and this is where it starts. Also because if we don't win, uh, my predictions in the weekly topic are going to make me sound like an absolute fool. (laughs) Let's jump to our weekly topic, ladies and gentlemen. So it is weekly topic time, and you know what? We just cannot get enough of making ourselves look foolish in the future. So we're deciding to give it another go and make some official, official predictions about what is going to happen this season. Guys, episode 19. Remember, weekly topic of episode 19. You can clip everything that you want. We decided to make a weekly topic exactly to look like absolute mugs. By the end of the season, these are the Anglo-Italian pod's official predictions. Rory's for the Premier League and Tommaso's for the Serie A. Let's start over in England. So I'm going to take you through what exactly we are going to predict. So we're going to predict, of course, who is going to win the title. That's going to be the first one. Then we're going to have who will make up the top four, who will be fifth and sixth, which teams will be relegated, who will be the top scorer, who will be the player of the season, the young player of the season, and then the player of season in each position, right? So those are the things we're going to go through. And I think we're going to start with who is going to win the Premier League this year. Now, I'm working off the basis of that there are three teams in the title challenge. I apologize, West Ham fans. I just don't quite think you're involved in the chase, despite you being in fourth place. So the teams, of course, I'm going for are Chelsea, Liverpool, and Man City. These are the three teams that I think are going to be chasing it down. Now, we've talked about it a lot, mainly because we're going to be covering it a lot, but AFCON really is going to be the decider. I think this really is going to be a deciding factor in who wins the league this year. So I'm going to take you through who loses which players, who plays who in that gap and how it's going to make a difference. So we'll start with the table leaders, the current table leaders, Chelsea. So they only lose Mendy, (laughs) okay, only, Mendy and Ziyech, right? Those are the two players in their squad or the two first team players in their squad that will go from or to the AFCON. AFCON. Now, this is, of course, from the 15th of January to the 2nd of February. This will mean that Kepa has to go in goal for Chelsea in the meantime. Now, with Kepa, we've seen him play in a few cup competitions, and he seems to be a bit more reliable. Maybe we've just mm-hmm. forgotten, mm-hmm. right? No, I agree. But it seems like he's become more reliable. We know that he's fantastic in penalty shootouts. That's not really going to help in the Premier League, but it shows that I think that maybe the time out of the spotlight has done a lot of good for him. Um, he's been able to train, get his head down, maybe fall back in love with the game. And maybe them not having Mendy won't be a massive miss. I think with Ziyech, he's been a good impact player. Like we've talked before, he's scored a few goals in the Champions League. Definitely hasn't 
he hasn't really found his feet in the Premier League yet. So I don't know how much Chelsea are really going to miss him. Sorry, Hakim, maybe that's a bit rude. But I feel like Chelsea aren't the team that are the most affected by AFCON, let's say. Now, while this tournament goes on, this is where it gets interesting. They have to play Manchester City at the Etihad the day after the AFCON starts. So Kepa's first goal as a first game as a replacement will be Manchester City away. Now, this is going to be a big test for him to see if he can get through that without dropping a clanger, then maybe he's back, right? But I do definitely get the vibe that maybe throwing him into a game of that magnitude might not be a great move. Um, but we will see that they also follow that up with a game against Spurs at home. So they have two difficult fixtures while the AFCON is on. So it'll be interesting to see how Chelsea can deal with it. But as I said, they are not the team that is the most affected by it. If we go on to who are currently second in the table, Liverpool, this is the team that are most affected by the AFCON. I think that is probably fair to say. So obviously, the two headline players, three headline players, I would say, that they are missing, they're going to lose uh, Naby Keita, Salah, and Mane. Three ah, yeah. huge... Ouch. <laughs> three huge misses, especially with Keita becoming more and more key. We've seen him really finding his feet in that Liverpool midfield. He's really becoming massively important for them. So you're not only losing a big part of your midfield, but you're losing your two top goal scorers. So it will be interesting to see how Liverpool are going to replace those goals. Because we've seen in the past that they have quite a small squad. Like You can almost always name Liverpool starting eleven, um, And we saw last season when they did miss a few players, how quickly it all kind of fell apart. So it will be interesting to see if they can replace the goals and who is going to step up. But the relief for Liverpool is that during the AFCON, they have to play Brentford at home, which should should be a fairly... like We've seen Brentford, they've made life difficult, but you would expect Liverpool to win that game. And they have Palace away. So two games that Liverpool could realistically, without these three key players, still keep their form going. So let's move on to City, the final contenders. Now, they only lose one player to AFCON, and that is, of course, Riyad Mahrez. But what we know about City is they have a very deep bench. So they will not necessarily miss him that much. They will have players that will come in. And as I said before, during AFCON, they have to play Chelsea at home and Southampton at home. So again, then these, like City are easily the team least affected by AFCON. I think they will barely notice it. And I think this could be a very big factor in it. Let's not forget, you're considering that all these players are going to get to the AFCON final. But of course, mm-hmm. yeah. teams are going to be eliminated from the competition as it goes on. So there is also a chance that some players will come back earlier than other ones. Actually, there is that 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 is going to happen. Well, yeah, of course, exactly. But then there's also the possibility that they might need resting after the tournament, right? Sure. Like, So they could miss further games. So it is kind of all up in the air. But before I kind of finally, sorry, this is taking a long time, but get around to my prediction, I wanted to look at the teams and how their end of seasons look because that really is where the running happens and where we see the deciders. And we have Liverpool in their final games, um, their penultimate game of the season, is oh sorry start with Chelsea uh Chelsea their penultimate game of the season is United away that could be a huge game but as we've seen with United nobody knows if that's a hard or easy game only Chelsea will find that out when they get there right um in Liverpool's final games they have to play City away Everton at home 
and Spurs at home. So Liverpool have kind of three really tough games at the end of the season. And City, as we said, for their last seven games, have to play Liverpool at home and West Ham away. Those are the two games that stood out to me as the most difficult. So with all of this said, I think I'm finally going to settle on the winners of the Premier League being Manchester City. I think the deciding factors for me were the fact that AFCON isn't really going to affect them. They've got a fairly straightforward end of the season, apart from Liverpool. And I think they have a deeper squad, ultimately. I think the fact that they can field two first 11s is just going to see them over the line. So I'm saying title winners, Manchester City. What do you think, Tommy? Uh, my prediction was much, it was more of a gut prediction, but I think that eventually Liverpool are going to make it. Um, Chelsea definitely look like the, I don't know, I really like to Chelsea system. They've got such a good defense. They concede very little. They can score goals. They've got a lot of firepower. But then I think that I think that Fcon is going to be a deciding factor, but it really depends how much the teams progress. It depends on the injuries that there will be. It depends mm-hmm. on a shit ton of things. I want to say Liverpool just because when they are in form, I think they are unstoppable. That's that's my prediction. But it's not. I didn't take all the factors that you did into account. We shall see. So Rory says Man City. I say Liverpool. Let's move on to the top four, Rory. What are your predictions? The top four. Now, I am going to surprise some people because I get Arsenal biased, but not quite yet. So the top four, I have said, is going to be... uh, So obviously I've said Manchester City will finish top. I said Liverpool finish second, Chelsea third, and my surprise package, I'm going to say West Ham finish fourth. I'm going to say... West Ham get the Champions League spot. Now, this is the one where I'm going to probably be made to look foolish, but I have a reason. I think that Arsenal and United are both kind of a similar level and both possible of, they're both capable of being good and an absolute bin fire. And this is going to kind of fluctuate throughout the season. I think with West Ham, we all thought it was going to be a one season wonder. It wasn't. And we've seen that they've built on what they did last year. They've added to their squad a little bit. They've become a little bit better. They've got more about them. I think maybe they can just sneak into that top four spot. So I'm going to say this is a gut one, I'll be honest. It it also kind of depends how far they get into the Europa League because then it kind of gets busy. It kind of gets difficult. But I'm going to say West Ham get the top four. So my top four would be City, Liverpool, Chelsea and West Ham. Antonio Conte is giggling while he listens to your prediction. Don't forget that Tottenham are only five points behind that Champions League spot. I wouldn't be surprised if they made it to the Champions League next year. I have a lot of trust in that man. Well, I don't blame you, but uh, Antonio is going to be really angry when he hears who I think is going to finish fifth and sixth because Tottenham aren't in it. For fifth and sixth, I have gone Manchester United in fifth, and this is where I get biased, Arsenal in sixth. I think as good a manager as Conte is, the squad is lacking a lot. I don't know how much you can improve in January. It's a difficult time of the year to buy. Even if you spend $200 I don't know if the squad's going to be up to it. He's not going to get $200 I think with United, they've got the good enough players to get there, and I think with Arsenal, we've got enough slow progress happening for us to get there all right let's go with the relegated teams before we move on to the individual awards who is going to be relegated from the premier league this season so for my relegated teams it will be of no surprise to anyone that i've gone for norwich 
and Newcastle. Now, Norwich, I think it's almost decided already that they are uh, relegated, but I was looking through their fixtures. At the end of the season, this is in a row as well, Tommy. They Mm -hmm. have to play Manchester United away, Newcastle at home, which is going to be massive, Villa away, West Ham at home, Wolves away, and Spurs at home. That is their last seven games, and none of them I could really see them winning. And the problem with Norwich is when I look at any fixture... There's none of them I can see them winning. I'm always just like, oh, they'll lose that game. They'll lose that game. They'll lose that game. So I think Norwich, undoubtedly. Then Newcastle, now, despite being the richest club in the world, they this week they were turned down by Unai Emery to take over the job because he said there wasn't a clear enough vision for the job and the people in charge don't really know enough about football. For him to turn down what was undoubtedly a very lucrative contract offer says a lot about the state of that club at the minute. And as mm-hmm. we've said before, I think they're going to be doomed before January. So I was looking into this. And again, get ready, Tommy. This is Newcastle's fixtures before the January transfer window opens. You ready? Go for it. They've got next, Brighton away. Then they've got Arsenal away. Norwich at home, massive game. Now this run is ridiculous. (laughs) Leicester away, Liverpool away, City at home, United at home and Everton away. Jesus, yeah. Uh, good luck, boys. Good luck, Magpies. <laughs> that run of Leicester, Liverpool, City, United is absolutely brutal. That is like, I was reading it and I was like, oh my Christ. Like, even if they, it, I don't know how many points they can get out of that run realistically. And I think that they could spend 300 million in January. The damage could be done already. So I think yeah. I'm saying Norwich. Or New- Norwich and Newcastle. And then the other ones, I'm going to be a little bit vague. With Aston Villa, it depends a lot on if they keep hold of Dean Smith, if he manages to turn it around. And with Watford, it feels like they always get relegated. So I'm going to say Norwich, Newcastle and Watford. I'm going to say Villa stay up. All right. So we've got the top six. We've got the bottom three. And now it's time for the individual awards. Um, top goal scorer, Rory. Top goal scorer, I'm not really going to be surprising anyone here, Mohamed Salah. Um, he's already got 10 goals. He's already three goals ahead of the nearest um, player, I think. And I think despite the fact he's going away to Afghan, I think he's got enough of a gap and he will continue this form until Christmas, at least, that he's going to be the top scorer. I think that's all that needs to be said, really. I don't know. I, if he doesn't get it, I'm going to say Vardy because Jamie Vardy's Vardy and he will get goals. Agreed. Agreed. No, I think Salah is going to be as well. I would say Ronaldo if he had started the season at Manchester mm-hmm. United, but now he's only on four goals only on four goals. <laughs> it's a little it's a little too late. I will let you continue. What are the other individual awards in the Premier League? So I've gone for player of the season. Again, it doesn't really feel like it's going to be a surprise, but I'm going to say Mohamed Salah. <laughs> I think even if Liverpool don't win the league, the fact like this start that he's had and when this award is voted for, because the awards are voted for before the season ends. So it's usually players that do well at the beginning of the season, they end up winning it. So I think the start that Salah's had is going to secure him his second player of the season award. Um, so I think, yeah, not a controversial shout, but I'm going to say Mohamed Salah. Beautiful. Let's keep going. Best goalkeeper? Best goalkeeper. Now I've put whichever one wins the league or Aaron Ramsdale. All right, all right. Yeah. Now, my not? thinking behind this is Mendy won it last year, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and if Chelsea don't win the league, then he won't win it again. 
Mm-hmm. Allison has won it before, mm-hmm. <laughs> and I feel like Edison has won it before. So my thought is that the English media are going to love the fact that there's this really exciting young English goalkeeper. They're going to get far too carried away, and they're going to give him goalkeeper of the season. I feel why like not? I like that's why that's what the English media do, and that's not to say Aaron Ramsdale won't deserve it, but. I get. I feel like this hype train is just starting to pick up some pace. So I'm going to say Aaron Ramsdale, fuck it, goalkeeper of the year. He's going to make so many mistakes now. I've said this. <laughs> best and I think we've got best defender and best midfielder left, right? Um, the one I've gone for is young player of the year. Go for it. Go for it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, I'm going to finish with young player of the year, if that's okay. Again, this is where the Arsenal bias is really coming out, guys. And I apologize, but I'm going to say the young player of the year is going to be Emil Smith-Rowe. I think... Now, this all depends on Arsenal getting back into Europe, right? If we get fifth place, and if Emil Smith-Rowe continues on the form that he's on, um, I think he's been at least the breakthrough player of the season so far. Like, the start he's had and how much he surprised people. I feel like if he continues this, he ha- he would have a real shout at being Young Player of the Year. Also, the fact that like if City win it, I don't know if they would have any candidates really, or if Liverpool would. I think like he is, so far, he's been the best young player. So that's what I've based it on. All right. Why not? So these were the Premier League predictions. Remember, episode 19, this is the bit where you have to come and clip all of the bullshit that we might have said. <laughs> Let's move to Serie A. I will keep, I will go the opposite way. I will start from the individual awards and then I will go for the team awards just because I, I, otherwise you would stop listening to me probably after one minute. But let's start from the individual awards. Um, Top goal scorer. So now that Cristiano Ronaldo is gone, now that Lukaku is gone, I think that it's time for one player to really shine and that man is Dusan Vlaovic from Fiorentina. Good old Dusan is already doing brilliantly in Serie A. He's already got a few braces here and there. He's already got a few uh, one hat trick so far this season. And he's trailing by only one goal behind Ciro Immobile. Now I think it's time to put an end to this Ciro Immobile bullshit. I think it's time that a real fucking striker <laughs> steps up to the plate and gets the award because we, I mean, he's, he's, he's I don't know, I'm tired of Immobile being a top goal scorer. Oh, me too, so me too, goals, definitely. We need a new face. We need a, we new, need face. a new face and I think it might as well be time for Dusan Vlaovic. He's also a penalty taker. He's back to taking penalties after, you know, trembling that one time around, that he was feeling a little afraid in front of the fans. Now he's back to it. So I think he's going to be the top goal scorer of the season. I'm going to go for, and Tommy, you're going to like this, I'm going to go for Osimhen. I feel like he's going to get he's going to get the Capocannonieri. Despite the AFCON? Despite the AFCON. Despite mm-hmm. AFCON, I feel like he's going to come back, a winner with Nigeria, and he's going to continue scoring. The thing is that he's not the penalty taker at Napoli, and the penalty mm. taker at Napoli fucking sucks. Yeah, yeah, no, that's if he if he if he had the score that the four penalties that Napoli were awarded, Ozyman would be on nine goals, which is as many as the current top goal scorer, which is Ciro Immobile. So that's my prediction. And they said in between brackets Zapata for Atalanta. Um he's never been top goal scorer in Serie A. So wow. maybe this could be the season for him. Then I'm going to go with the best team of the season. Uh, sorry, the best player for each position because Serie A does that award as well. Let's start from the goalkeeper. I think the best goalkeeper is going to be 
Mike Magnan for AC Milan. He's out injured right now. He's a French national, so he's not going to be gone for the AFCON. And he's already shown great, great things in Serie A. And, uh, well, I can't really think of another uh, keeper who could be a contender for the award. Maybe Chesney uh, for Juventus. After oh, God, being... can you imagine? Oh, God. No, but, I mean, Chesney's a good goalkeeper. And I think that he was being used as a scapegoat at the beginning of the season. Don't get me wrong. He's had a fair share of howlers. But when I look at the goalkeeper situation... I can only think of Mike Magnan for AC Milan. Mm-hmm. Great signing. And I think it's going to be his. Uh, best defender, I'm going to go with Kalidou Koulibaly for uh, Napoli. He's, of course, already won this award once, but I cannot really see anybody taking it from him, except maybe a certain Milan Skriniar for Inter Milan, who's having an incredible season mm-hmm. thus far. Um, but if Napoli can keep up their form, finish top of the table, maybe n- not first, but like be up there, Kalidou Koulibaly could be the, the defender to get it once again. He's already on two goals as well. So that's my prediction in brackets, Milan Skriniar for a- Inter Milan. The third name that I wrote down is Simon Chiaer, for AC Milan. That's a massive shout. That's a massive shout. Yeah, yeah because he's, uh, AC Milan's defense is very solid. He's like the leader of the defense. Uh, definitely, if they, it really depends who will finish top. But mm-hmm. it, could be, it could be one of these three. Best midfielder of the season. There are no other names in brackets. Just give it already to Lorenzo Pellegrini from Rome. (laughs) Fucking hell, man. He's already on five goals. He's got assists. He can do it all. He can score from free kicks and everything. And I think that last year it was Barella. Uh, Lorenzo Pellegrini missed out on the Euros. If he can Mm -hmm. keep having a very good season at Roma, I don't think that anybody can really take it away from him. What do you think? I think that's a great shout. We've talked before about how key he is to Roma and how much they depend on him. Yeah, so unlucky to miss out on the Euros. I think it would be great to see him finally get some recognition for the great player that he is. And best forward, well, usually he's given to the top goal scorer. So it's Dusan Vlaovic once again. So in my universe, Dusan Vlaovic will have to collect uh, a big bag before he goes collecting his awards because he's also my best youngster. But this one, guys, but this one, guys, it's because I read the stat. I wish I had bookmarked it, but Italy is the country that gives the least minutes to under 23 players. So I actually went through the lineups of every team. Of course, there are under-23s, but there are no outstanding names among these under-23s. And especially, they're not given that much time. So I'm going to go for the second year in a row. It would be Dusan Vlaovic because it's awarded to uh, the most outstanding player under 23 years of age. Yeah. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. Uh, I can't think of many, many more. So it might as well be. I always them. feel like without going off on a tangent, because uh, they do the Not same with the, you know, let's go off on a tangent. Without, they do the same with like the Young Player Award in the UK. I feel like it should almost be like the Rookie of the Year Award, like in America, where like it has to be your first season, because mm-hmm. you end up with like stupid situations where like Sterling wins it and he's played in the league for five years, and you're like, okay, yeah, he's technically a young player, but not really. If you know what I mean, True. I feel like they should kind of change the parameters a little bit. True. The fact is that not a lot of chances given on your mm. first year usually yeah. you don't. But yeah, yeah, that could be interesting. That could be interesting. And the MVP 
of the season, which is another award that is given in Serie A. Last year, this is the overall MVP. Mm-hmm. Last year, it was Romelu Lukaku. I'm going to go for Federico Chiesa. I think this is going to be his breakthrough season. He's going to help if Juventus, if Juventus make the top four, I think it's going to read Federico Chiesa all over mm-hmm. that achievement. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, he's Italian. Italian media love him. He's the future of our present and future of our national team. So I think it would be hard to take that award away from him. And now that I had your attention, let's go with my predictions for the teams. But since I want you to keep listening, I'm going to start with the relegated teams. <laughs> okay, right. I think that the relegated teams are going to be Salernitana, Spezia. No! <laughs> and then the other name is Genoa. Ladies oh, and gentlemen. Is this the year? Is this the year? Yeah, I know that in the previous part I said that, that there is an interest in keeping them up. Well, I think that as much as the referees are going to try to keep them up, there's not going to be a way around it. They are going to be one of the teams to drop. You inspired me, Rory, to look at the last fixtures that Genoa have. And it's a bit like hell from uh, April. They've got Lazio, then AC Milan, then two all right games against Cagliari and a derby against Sampdoria. And then it goes Juventus, Napoli and Bologna. Oh, shit. (laughs) Yup. So this was the team that kind of agreed with Fiorentina two years ago to just pass the ball for 90 minutes Mm -hmm. on the last match day so that none of the two teams would be relegated. But I think that their opposition at the end of the season, it's all teams that will be competing for something. Mm -hmm. Maybe the game against Bologna and Cagliari and Sampdoria, they could get a few points, but definitely not against Lazio, Milan, Juventus and Napoli. Salernitana, there is really nothing that exciting about that team so far. Um, I don't remember which game it was, but I looked for the extended highlights of a Salernitana game, and I was like, there is nothing good about this team. Mm. And then Spezia. Spezia, also because Spezia, they were, this is ridiculous, but at the beginning of the season, they were punished from FIFA because they put a wrong signature on a deal and they cannot go on the market. They cannot go on the transfer market for two years. So (laughs) if football football is a corrupt sport, it's because of teams like Spezia, not because of Manchester City and PSG. God damn it. So they cannot even fix their squad in January. So I don't see any way for them. That's criminal, isn't it? That's absolutely criminal. It is, it is. Like and PSG doing what the fuck they want. Spezia getting punished like that, man. This man was, and also, I'm going off the top of my head, but I think that every Italian team is allowed to have a maximum number of under 23s mm-hmm. and they signed one too many, but it was just like ridiculous in my opinion. And they didn't put Cagliari because whenever I look at Cagliari's squad, I'm like, this team is too good to be relegated. Like... I don't so think they're currently bottom, right? They are currently bottom with six points, but Salernitana have seven, Genoa and Spezia have eight, Venezia have nine, and Sampdoria have nine. Okay. Now, I was tempted to write off Genoa and put Venezia, but Venezia, I mean, they're not they're not the greatest team in Serie A, but they are. They, they've got a few names that that are that are good. So they've got Aramu, Mattia Aramu, mm-hmm. their trequartista, who is very good. They've got this guy called the Gianluca Buzio, who I'm quite discovered is American. He's half yeah, 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 no, yeah. I mean, He's half black Italian American, which is fucking sweet. I love it. And he's a very good player. And uh, I think Venezia 
are a team owned by an American company, and they think mm -hmm. there is a very big interest from that company to keep them up in Syria. I think that this achievement to be in Syria, uh, they're here to stay, and yeah. they're going to make moves, and they're going to stay up. So the three teams that are going to be relegated, in my opinion, are Salernitana, Spezia, and Genoa. And now let's go to the winner and the runner-up. I don't have a top four. But, ladies and gentlemen, here I'm going to say it. It's going to be very tight. It's a three-horse race between Napoli, who are currently sitting first, AC Milan, who are second, and Inter Milan, who are third. Seventh, seven points behind both Napoli and AC Milan. I love when that When you say it out loud, it doesn't sound great. Okay. Okay. So... The team that is going to be the most affected by AFCON is, of course, Napoli. Their team's spine mm -hmm. is going to be absent. So, Kalidou Koulibaly in defense, Zambo Anguissa at midfield, and Oziman up front. Um, the games that they're going to play during the AFCON, now, it also depends when the players are going to leave for the AFCON, because I see that on January 6th, there is Juventus-Napoli. But are these players still going to be in Italy? I want to say yes for this mm -hmm. game, right? Yeah, I think I think they leave like a few days before. It's not... Yeah. And then the games that they've got while these three players are gone are Sampdoria, Bologna, Salernitana, and Venezia. So, absolutely. Ah, there, there was a new... Uh, this is a new thing in Serie A this year. The, the calendar is not mirrored, right? Which I think it's actually pretty sweet. It's... It's not me. I always liked that about Serie A that you could like carbon copy it. I always quite liked the, it. The second. So wait, in the Premier League, it's not mirror. No, 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 no. It's just oh, random. All right, it's, right. It's, it's random. Sky pick it. Like oh. it's yeah, yeah. Well, the second half of the season is not going to be mirrored, so okay. the games are going to be different. But I think that I repeat, Sampdoria, Bologna, Salernitana, and Venezia. These are not games that Napoli should really struggle mm. in. Maybe. Inter and uh, AC Milan, they don't really have any players in the AFCON, except AC Milan, they have one player that represents like the importance of four players at the same time for them. We're talking, of course, about Frank Kessier. He's going to be gone for the AFCON. Who do AC Milan have during that time? Let me look it up very quickly. During the time of the AFCON, AC Milan are going to play Venezia, Spezia, Juventus, and on the oh. day of the final, Inter Milan for oh the second leg of the derby. Tommy, they also miss Benacer as well. He's going to go oh. as well, right? And Benacer, correct. Yes. So two important pawns at midfield and also Ballo Touré. I don't know if he's mm -hmm. going to be called up by Senegal, yeah, yeah. but he, he's a replacement on the wing. Now, let's think about how teams usually end the season. Out of these three teams, I think that the the one with with the least maturity in the big stage is Napoli. And usually, I check the uh, the final fixtures, and they don't have any big games at the end. But I think that throughout the season, Napoli at some point they're going to shake and they're going to lose some important points. So Napoli, I think they're going to end the season third which would be a huge disappointment. Oh, but God. here, in my universe, at the top here, we're talking about like a the final standings that all teams are separated by one point. Mm -hmm. If not, they're even on even points. So I'm going to say that Napoli and the third, Ace Milan finish second, and Inter Milan win the league. You're saying this a week before the derby. I know, I know. And it really depends on that win. If we don't win the derby, if we don't win the derby, this prediction goes out the window. 
But if you do win the Derby, I think Inter Milan, out of these three teams, they are the most mature team. Um, they won the league last year. They're a core of players that have played together for a very long time mm-hmm. now. Yesterday, I was thinking of the screeners, the Vrij, Andanovic, Brozovic. All these players, have Perisic, they've been there for a fucking mm-hmm. long time. So the core of players that we have, they know each other perfectly. The new players that have come in, I mean, Lautaro Martinez has been at Inter Milan for a while as well. Barella has been there a while now, three years. Yeah, Yeah. this is the third year uh, as well for Lautaro. Zeko is a player with a ton of experience. So in the reason why I say that Inter, I'm saying that Inter are going to win the league, basically, because they have the most experience and uh, they can keep their focus more than the other two. Will I be proven wrong? Most likely, if you listen to the Anglo-Italian pod, you should know that. But that's my final prediction. Inter win the league, nice. AC Milan second, and Napoli third. But I will repeat it. These will be, they will be separated by one, maximum mm-hmm. two points. I think it's going to be a very intense race until the end. The thing, Another thing that I'm, I was thinking is that when a team doesn't have a lot of experience at the top... You Napoli still haven't lost the game. We still have to see how Napoli react after losing a yeah. game. Yeah, Same yeah, for yeah, AC yeah. Milan. Yeah. If you don't have a lot... Last year, AC Milan, they were first for a long time. Mm-hmm. Then they lost the derby and everything started falling apart. Inter Milan, I've already lost the game. And after mm-hmm. that game, what came? <laughs> Four wins and one draw against Juventus. Two it's such wins. a good way of spinning losing a game. It's but such it's a good true. way. Man, it's yeah, true. Yeah. Like, we don't know, no, how, Napoli, true, we don't know yeah. how Napoli will react after mm-hmm. losing a game. You know, and I don't know. I am. I, I don't know. I don't actually feel stupid. No, you've got a point. You've got a point. You've got a point. That's it. That's my prediction. That's it. Inter, okay, win their 20th <laughs> title. In 2022, that's my prediction. Okay, I'm going to say for the Serie A winners... Go for it. I'm going to say, and this is purely because I think it it would be something very Inter to happen to Inter, I think Milan are going to win it. And I think Inter will finally win the league, but then they'll hand it to Milan. And I just feel like that's what will happen. Um, I think you're right about Napoli. They're going to fade away. I think I, I would really love Napoli to win it. I really want to see that City... Like, Tommy, if Napoli win the Scudetto, we are going down to Naples for that weekend and just to see the city. Like, I'm, I'm down, but it's dangerous, dude. People shoot with their guns out the window, like, aiming at the uh, We have to see that city if they celebrate a Scudetto. Oh, no, 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 no. It would be insane. Like, it would be insane. And I, I'm sure that we wouldn't be the only ones. It would be full yeah. of, like, improvised Napoli fans just to see <laughs> yeah, what's going yeah. on. So I or, would love to see that city, but I think maybe Milan have finally got the bits in place to do it. But I have to say, I hope Inter win it, right? I really hope Inter win it. And look, we can still go to Naples even if Milan win it because I don't want to be here. So we can take a weekend <laughs> off in Naples. I definitely don't want to be here with all the, those disgusting red and black flags. But I believe we've gone a little over time. It's another characteristic of the Anglo-Italian pod. Yeah. Should we jump to the quiz, Rory? Let's go. Let's make it happen. And it's time. It is time for the minute till kickoff quiz. Is this the time where I put one hand on the trophy of victory and we can finally move on to another quiz? Who knows? We're about to find out. Tommy, are you excited? Are you going to push me to my limits? Well, you picked the AS Roma as a topic. And the questions you're going to see are pretty straightforward. There is going to be 
there it's five questions about the club and two questions about the biggest club legend mm-hmm. <clears throat> of course you know who i'm talking about hopefully and, uh, I do. otherwise i'm really in trouble and the result is uh, 16 to 13 and uh, we said well rory started being a question so I'm going to have a chance next week. But the first one who gets to 20 is the winner. If we get beyond 20, well, whoever has got more points will be the winner. Rory, I think it's time for our customary theme. And here we are ready to test Rory's AS Roma football knowledge. Rory, how did you come up with this specific, very specific topic? Um, it was a terrible mistake. I don't know. You know, Tommy, our system is to pick in the spur of the moment. And I was just swinging and AS Roma fell from the sky. So here we are. I, of course, as always, have done zero research. Um, so I just thought that I would try and think about Roma. What do I know about Roma? And unfortunately, I feel like I don't know that much. So this could be quite messy, but we will we, see. We are going to find out. Are you ready to start? Let's do it. Three, two, one. First question. When was AS Roma founded? 1927. Correct. Oof. How many European finals have Roma featured in? Three. Wrong. How many Scudettos have Roma won? Two. Wrong. Damn. Which of the following is not an official sister club of AS Roma's? Leeds United, Panathinaikos, or Atletico Madrid? Leeds United. Correct. Which of these managers has never coached AS Roma? Legendary Elenio Herrera, Giovanni Trapattoni or Vincenzo Montella? Trapattoni. Correct. How many times was Francesco Totti crowned the Serie A top goalscorer? Four. Wrong. What year did Totti score his last Serie A goal for Roma? 2018. Wrong, Damn. Rory. You still get three points, which uh, one off the final <laughs> result to 19 to 13. So if I get oh. them all correct in an unprecedented spur of inspiration, which you <laughs> never <laughs> witnessed, I might as well be the winner next uh. week. Rory, I'm three. It's not that bad. Come on. Come on. That's better than Cheerio. I thought. That's better than I thought. The year I am very proud of getting. I'm very proud I got that. Yeah, it's under the logo. So that was the first question. When was AS Roma founded? On the same year that my grandmother was born, 1927. It's soon going to be her birthday. 94 years. Happy anticipated birthday, Nonna Kika. The second question, how many European finals have Roma featured in? Rory said three. It was Two. So they were in the Champions League final against Liverpool in 1984, and they were in the UEFA Cup final against mm. Inter Milan in 1991. But of course, they didn't win either. I could, many, I could, tell me. I could think of those two, but then I was like, I'm probably forgetting one, so I'm just going to say another one. And then, well, about it. the 1991 against Inter, I had no idea until I looked it up. How many Scudettos have Roma won? You said uh, two, I believe, Rory. It was 
1943. They won in 1942, 1983, and of course, 2001 uh, with, with Totti and the famous team that we've thoroughly covered. Which of the following is not an official sister club of AS Romas? I said Leeds United, Panathinaikos, and Atletico Madrid, and it's correct. Leeds United are not a sister club, while Panathinaikos and Atletico are. You also guessed the next one, Rory. Very good. Which of these managers has never coached AS Roma? Elenio Herrera, Giovanni Trapattoni, or Vincenzo Montella? And it was correct, Giovanni Trapattoni. Now, as an Inter fan, I remembered that Elenio Herrera had coached Roma only mm-hmm. when I checked it online. Otherwise, if you had asked right. me in the quids, I don't know if I would have guessed it. No, that was that was a complete guess. I just thought I know nothing about Herrera's career. I know a little bit about Trapattoni's, and I don't remember him being at Roma. So, mm-hmm. yeah, did yeah. you remember? I was undecided whether to put Capello in the mix. You remember that? Capello yeah. Well, he won the Scudetto with them, right? Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Then how many times was Francesco Totti crowned the Serie A top goal scorer? It was a trick question. Only once. Yeah, I went far too high. Four is ridiculous. I don't know why I went four. Again, I would have said probably more than one, but this again says that in Serie A there are a lot of good strikers and forwards. So you only won it in 2006 and 2007. And what year did Totti score his last Serie A goal for Roma? It was on September 15th, 2016. He scored a penalty against Torino, which was his 250th Serie A goal and also his last. So he ended his career with 250. I think it's pretty tight, right? 250 exactly. That is like really beautiful number to finish on, right? Fans of like round numbers will like that if they exist. (laughs) I was going to say symmetry, but it's not quite right, is it? No, no, no. Yeah. All right, right, and uh, I guess it's uh, it's time for me to pick uh, the okay, topic. Okay, Tommy, for... you've got three seconds to think of your topic. Go. Oh, three seconds? <laughs> ah, come on. I'm going to go. Let me think about it. I'm going to go. Whew, I'm going to go hard for myself. The Brazilian national team. Oh, La Seleção. Oh, I'm excited. La Seleção. Yes, <laughs> yes, ladies and gentlemen, that's my topic. I guess it's all from me for this episode. Remember to follow us on Twitter at Italian Anglopod, on Instagram at Anglo Italian Pod, and uh, also follow our sponsor at Sports Club Maps. You can find them both on Twitter and on Instagram, and from there you can be redirected to their website. That's all from, from me, Rory. I will leave it to you to send off the listeners. And this week, our quote comes from a man that I am very disappointed in, Mr. Antonio Conte, where he said, during competition, it, we're talking about sex, should not last long. Also, it should be done with the least effort possible. So underneath the partner, preferably with their wife, as then there is no obligation to put in an exceptional performance. Well, Antonio, I might just be the perfect player for you. Enjoy your weekends, guys. (laughs) See you on Monday.